Good morning, Grace Chapel. So good to see you. Uh, we had a work day here yesterday and freshened things up a little bit outside. Man, I have never seen that many weeds. I mean, seriously, there were a lot. And people who were here were working hard. And just uh, as we go through the sermon today, uh, the Beatitudes in particular, those people are going to be blessed. All right? That's, that's what's going to happen. Um, at the heart of the Christian faith, at the heart of our Christian faith stands the identity of Jesus Christ. There's nothing else. Uh, that's, that's the foundation of, of who we are, of what we believe. And the identity of Jesus Christ has been the source of controversy for centuries, um, ever since he was born. Critics have often said that Jesus was nothing more than a great teacher. Was he a great teacher? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, but nothing more, they say. And it's probably unsurprising to you that a majority of the general U.S. population rejects the deity of Jesus Christ. That's, that's where we live. That's, that's a fact. That's what's going on. But now a new survey, it's uh, by Legionnaire uh, Ministries, uh, just this year, shows, this is, this is like wild, that almost a third, okay, imagine that, almost a third of American evangelicals. These are people who would actually say, yes, I'm an evangelical. That's quite a stand, right, in our current situation. But almost a third agree that he was merely a great teacher. It's wild. So that begs the question, what are we teaching in the church? <laughs> you know, the, the, the places that call themselves the church of Jesus Christ, where he is preached, but obviously he's not. So let's pray before we go into what Jesus, the Son of God, has to say to us. Our God and Father, we are amazed, and as we just sang, in your presence, continually in your presence, under your care, your mercy, under the great salvation we enjoy through, our, through faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, uh, as we look into your word we know that it saturates us, that it challenges us, that it lifts us up, encourages uh, all those things and more. And Lord, we desire that. That's why we are here today, because of you, to worship you first and foremost, and to hear how we should then live in light of that. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. The Great Commission that you hear here, here at Grace Chapel all the time, the Great Commission clearly tells us that we are to what? There it is. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Those are our marching orders. Uh, it's what we say repeatedly, and I hope and pray do repeatedly here at Grace Chapel. But there's a difficult part of that, and that's the make disciples part. In particular, I want to talk to you just briefly, make. What is make? Uh, there's a whole lot of confusion over that simple word, make. If you told me this morning, Pete, go make a cake, I could, I could probably pull that off, all right? All right? Uh, I think I could do that. If you said, Pete, go make a Ford F-150, I'd be kind of like, okay, like, why are you even asking me? I mean, I, 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 I mean, 
Great, great truck, great truck. Right, Ben? Yes, great truck. But, but okay, um, what if you said, Pete, go make a straight A student? Well, my first question is, are they going to cooperate? You know, with this, with this idea that I'm supposed to go make into a... And then what about the math part? You're asking me. <laughs> you know, like the math part's not going to work out here. Where, um, you see I, see, I understand the command. I, 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 I listen, go, and do this. And I even have kind of an idea of what the final product is supposed to look like. And you probably do too, as I said, all those make things. But I'll just be honest with you. I don't have all the knowledge. And I definitely don't have the resources to pull off some of those requests. You're going to have to get yourself a trained professional and find, especially for the Ford F-150, find a factory that's got all the resources to pull that thing off, all the necessary equipment of making. And it would also appear, as you look at the church today in North America, that Christians are a little foggy on how to make disciples. And before we can even make one, shouldn't we all be clear on the ingredients of a disciple? Shouldn't we um, understand the processes that are, are involved? And don't you think we should have an idea of what the final product is even supposed to look like? Not according to our expectations, but according to God's expectations. For instance, here's the cake you asked for. Uh, it's probably not exactly what you had in mind. But that's the best I could pull off for today. You know what? The exciting thing about God's Word, and that's why we spend our time in it every week, is God never leaves us in the dark. After all, He is what? Light. Uh, he's very clear. And in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, um, a Jesus who we at Grace Chapel call the Son of God because we believe He is God in the flesh, in Jesus' first major teaching that's captured by Matthew in his gospel account, Jesus tells us exactly what the final product is supposed to look like. Jesus explains what we all have to work with to get there, and he's going to reveal that the pro final product is none other than being a citizen of the kingdom of God. He's going to detail for us what a citizen of the kingdom of God is motivated by and then how they act in the choices, in the interactions they have with people, how they come across. First, a little context, because this is our opening into this sermon, and there's a whole lot of background we need to go over because it's so important to understand when Jesus actually opens his mouth. Before recording Jesus' sermon, God had Matthew in the preceding four chapters emphasize the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Prophecies about the coming Messiah. Prophecies about the kingdom come. Why? Because every Jew who's about to listen to Jesus' sermon was looking forward to the coming kingdom, and every one of them knew that that would coincide with the coming of the Messiah. So in chapters 5 to 7, where we're going to be right through the end of November, Matthew presents the promised Messiah's expectations for this kingdom that he's the king of. This is God's fulfillment of promises to the nation of Israel and by default to the entire world. It's the king that we're going to be listening to for the next eight to ten weeks. 
It's the king who's going to instruct us, and I pray that you are a citizen of his kingdom, on how to live under his rule, no one else's, in his kingdom come. Think about the key events in Jesus' life in the first four chapters of Matthew before we get to the Sermon on the Mount. Think about all the events. What were they? Matthew describes them in chapters 2 to 4. You've got the wise men's visit. You've got the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And then you've got um, his temptation in the wilderness by Lucifer himself. Remember the 40 days of fasting and then the temptations come hard and fast. What do those three events reveal to you and I about the Messiah? What do they reveal to us about Jesus and the kingdom that Matthew's now describing in this sermon? He's worshipped, first and foremost. We get that right out of the gate by the three magi who come and declare him the coming king and bow their knees at his birth. He's been declared in those chapters to be the Son of God. By who? By God the Father at the baptism with John. And he is over and above the greatest temptation any person has ever experienced. Lucifer offers him to be the king of the world. And of course, Jesus refuses. It's almost like, you idiot, Lucifer. He is the king, and you're tempting him with this. Matthew chapter 5, you there? Verses 1 and 2. And when he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to teach them by saying, sitting on a mountainside, Jesus speaks about selflessness. He's going to speak to you and I about humility. And he's going to tell us what it means to seek God's righteousness, not our own ideas about what is right and what is wrong in our lives, which we tend to do all the time. Often people do that without any influence from the Word of God. It's most likely not what the Israelites anticipating the kingdom come in the Messiah thought they were going to hear from the Messiah. He goes way off. It turns everything upside down. And what you and I are going to learn over these next 10 weeks is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. What it means to follow Jesus Christ as the king of God's kingdom. And what kind of disciples you and I are not only supposed to be, but the kind of disciples we're supposed to make, to reproduce. Now, what about the kingdom of God? So that's a huge theme. It's, it's a huge theme in Matthew, the kingdom of God. When Pilate asked Jesus at his trial, is there any substance to the charges that are being brought against you by the Jewish leaders that you have some kind of ambition to be this new king of Israel? Do you remember Jesus' reply? It was clear. My kingdom. So what's he saying there? There is a kingdom, and he's a king. But he says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. What does that mean? It's different. It's, uh, it's got a different origin. And it's got a completely different character. And one of the most important things you and I need to realize as we go through the Sermon on the Mount together 
about this kingdom of God is that in these prior chapters to chapter 5, both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ preached the same message about the kingdom of God. You know what they said? John, Matthew 3, 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came into the wilderness of Judea proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Next chapter, chapter 4, verse 17. Jesus, from that time, Jesus began to preach this message. Guess what he's going to say? Anybody? Word for word, even in the original. <laughs> Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Both these guys. You notice what comes first in the kingdom of God? It begins with an R. Repent. Repentance. So what about this repent thing? Like, it's that important. It's that big a deal. How often do you and I think about repentance when we think about ourselves being citizens of God's kingdom? As related to living in God's kingdom. In God's mind, there's an obvious connection here. Is repentance even on our radar? As I get up in the morning and go to bed at night, as I live throughout the day, interact with people, we're going to discover that repentance gets us to the place where these beatitudes we're about to read become possibilities. So let's get into it. Jesus opens with his sermon with nine pronouncements. They're often called the beatitudes. They're, they're pr pronouncements of blessing. The ninth is often treated as a further explanation of the eighth, and that's how I'm going to be handling it. So that's why you'll often hear that there are eight Beatitudes, but those of you who are into math and like to count are going to go, wait a minute, there's nine blessings. There's eight, okay? That's where we're going. Here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are perse persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus explains that living out righteousness living the right way in God's kingdom, this is what it looks like. He's going to later explain it through some parables in Matthew chapter 13, but here in the Beatitudes, he lays out the balanced and diverse character of a citizen of God's kingdom. I know for many of you, that's you. And here's the balanced character we're supposed to have. Are some of you kind of going, oh my, oh boy. I, I, I don't like it when you read this stuff. But these are the people who are described by God to be citizens of his kingdom. So 
This is not about you. This is not about me. This is about God. This is what he's saying. And they're described by God to be citizens of his kingdom, not because they say so, but because they prove so. And they're not say eight distinct uh, groups of people, you know. You know, in, in the Christian community, we've got some people who are meek, and you know who you are. And uh, we've got others that are merciful. And then there's this really small group that gets persecuted, right? We want to keep it small, right? So in our, our, the people who live way over there, you know, on the other side of the world, they get persecuted. We don't get here. But no, we're going to discover that there are eight qualities that I've just read all from the same group, citizens of the kingdom of God. A group of citizens who emulate this character, this Christ-likeness, all at the same time. In God's realm, there are no small groups. <laughs> we have some coming up this week, but this is different. In God's room, there are no small, elite, small groups who are different from ordinary Christians. I mean, I'm an ordinary Christian. I mean, that's for the super saints, that's for the disciples, that's for people who, 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 who've got more of the Holy Spirit than I do. Like, that's so non-biblical. The Beatitudes are Jesus Christ's own specification of what every true follower of Jesus Christ, every true citizen of God ought to be. So now let's talk a little bit about blessings, since we just read eight of them. Eight, not nine. Do you get that? Okay. So are these blessings, as you read, as you read them, as I, as I read them to you and you read along, do you consider these blessings requirements to get into the kingdom? Do you realize that a lot of major denominations in our world today preach that, teach that, and if so, as many people in our world believe, who can ever do this? Who can ever get into the kingdom if this is the requirement? And he's only just done the introduction to the sermon. I'm already out. Or are they descriptions of the qualities that God approves of in his followers who get into the kingdom by faith through Jesus Christ's death on the cross? And we're going to see that it's the latter. It's what we preach and teach here at Grace Chapel. As we go along, we'll see it more clearly. But first, what, what do, back to blessings, what do blessings even mean? Well, the Greek word actually can and does mean happy. But before you get too happy about that, some translations even translate it as happy are the ones who. The problem is, is our modern idea of happiness is nowhere near what Jesus was saying. And several commentators have even gone off on this, and if you've got books to help you go through the, the study, be careful, because some of them have explained the blessings of Jesus as prescriptions for human happiness. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just sorry. But that's just a too convenient, modern, extreme push of an interpretation in our it's all about me and my happiness world. That's not what Jesus is saying. And it would be seriously misleading for any of us to inter interpret this word blessed as some of our modern versions or ideas about happiness go. Happiness is a subjective state, isn't it? Like, 
Let's just say, just take a poll. How many of you are happy today? How many of you are not? But those of you who put up your hand and said not, were you happy yesterday? For instance, like, I eat ice cream. Not very often. But I eat ice cream, and I'm, all God's people said, happy. Exactly. I watch you eat ice cream, and I'm jealous. It's so subjective. Jesus is making an objective judgment about people, about you and I, about particularly people in the kingdom of God. He is declaring not what they may feel happy about, that they will feel that they're happy, but he's declaring what God thinks of them. And on account of what God thinks of them, who they really are. And that's what? Blessed. So let's look briefly at each characteristic um, that Jesus describes as this is when you're blessed by God. And in your personal study, or as you go through in your small group this week, you're going to be challenged to go way deeper. And I hope you're open enough to that. There are lesson guides, whether you're in a small group or you want to do it on your own. Lesson guides are available online. They're on our church uh, uh, homepage. They're under the growth section. They're, uh, for those of you watching on video, it's right under the video. There's a link. It'll take you right to the study guide and you can get into it. The first six lessons are there. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor. The poor what? The poor in spirit. Yeah. This is more than just being poor in material wealth. It's, it's, it's about a humility that is so lacking in our world today. And it's a humility that comes from the awareness and then the corresponding lifestyle to that awareness, to the fact that everything you have, all of your blessings are from God. And you live in light of that. You live with that blaring fact. Blessings, blessed are those who acknowledge. Blessed are those who acknowledge all, everything comes from God. How dependent are we on God? Big question for a citizen of the kingdom. See, in the Old Testament, the needy, those who had uh, no material wealth and no resources or recourse, they had no refuge but God. They were driven to God because there was no one else who was going to take care of them. There was no fallback. And so over time, as the Old Testament was written and then we come to Jesus' time in the New Testament, um, being poor came to be identified with a humble dependence on God. Not just for your daily food, not just for shelter, but for your salvation, for life itself. And someone who is that humble, someone who has had everything stripped away or realizes that, you know what, other than if, if it wasn't for God, everything would be stripped away. Someone who can be that humble can admit their sinful nature. They are stripped bare before God and they see themselves that way. And then they can repent and then they can allow the Holy Spirit of God, which is working in their heart, to guide them to now do righteousness, righteous works, but with the right motivation, with the right background to it all. Why? Because, and theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. Are you poor in spirit? Four, blessed are those who mourn. 
So, so being aware of your true dependence on God puts you in a place where you can respond with what? Mourning. Wow. Mourning over what? Our sinful condition. The promised comfort that he's talking about here, and it's often misused, but the promised comfort is not primarily to those who mourn a loss, to those who mourn a sickness, to those who mourn a lost relationship or a heartache of some kind. Although, does God comfort? Absolutely. But what Jesus is saying is here is, is the promised comfort is for those who mourn the loss of their righteousness, who realize how utterly dependent we are on God. And there is a sorrow then that comes from our repentance. Repent, because the kingdom of God is near. Remember what John the Baptist and Jesus both preached regarding the kingdom. Sorrow over your sin produces an intentional, an intentionality. It produces an intentionality to to be renewed, to be made whole, to be made right, and then to follow the paths of God. Mourn for your sin, Jesus says, for you'll be comforted. You will, guaranteed, every time. Blessed are the meek. We don't have a lot of meek people around today. As a matter of fact, it's not a strong character trait as it's displayed. Um, meek people get walked on, they become doormats, but a person who is meek, according to Jesus, has more strength than all the others. Real strength. The strength that God regards as strength. They have a godly strength to exercise self-control. That's what makes them meek. My sin nature impulse. I want you, I want you to see if you track with me on this. My personal sin nature impulse is to bite back. Yeah? Those of you who are meek are going, no, I never, never, never do that. It's two of you. No. My, my, my nature is to retaliate in kind, usually without giving it much thought. <laughs> to display gentleness, to display kindness, takes more strength of character. Would you say that you have a true estimate of yourself? Would you say so? Do you? Um, you know, it's easy to be honest before God, isn't it? Like in private? So easy to be honest before God about ourselves. Uh, before God, we acknowledge that we're sinners because He sees right through us and it would be ridiculous to say that we weren't or to feel like we weren't. Uh, we're sinners in his sight. It's easy for me to do. I do it all the time. It's much more difficult to meekly allow other people to say that about me. How about you? I mean, it's true, but I resent it. <laughs> so I build up a wall. Uh, I get defensive. You ever get defensive? Yeah, yeah. I heard a lot of amens on that one. I get, dis I, get, I get so defensive sometimes. It's, it's terrible. We would all prefer to condemn ourselves than to have somebody stand up and condemn us. I'm quite happy to call myself a sinner. I really am. 
It's a reality. Why run and hide from it? It's no secret to me. But let somebody come up to me after church and call me a sinner, I want to punch them in the nose. I'm just being honest. Meekness displays self-control. Let me, let me back up. I wouldn't punch you in the nose. Why? Because I'm meek. I mean, I would, I would display self-control to hold back. We'll see. Like, like when Jesus was on trial, you remember that? Like when Jesus was being beaten? This is God in the flesh. Power to call down thousands of angels and just, you, you guys are done. When he hung on the cross, and he didn't do a thing. You see, there's a basic hypocrisy in our lives when meekness is absent, and we are not blessed. Where meekness is present, Jesus says, they shall inherit the earth. Six, verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay, what do you, okay, this is, be careful. What do you have a perpetual appetite for? Yeah, yeah, you've all, you've all got one. Do you have a perpetual appetite for virtue and justice? Is that even there for you? And if you do, you will be ravenous for the Word of God. You will want us to recite the Word of God, speak from the Word of God more than anything else on a Sunday morning. You can't get enough of it. It's like the psalmist says, a deer panting for water. Because that's where righteousness is found. That is only where righteousness is found. And there will be a draw to it. And God says he will satisfy those who hunger and thirst for his righteousness. He feeds them. Spiritual hunger is a characteristic of God's people. And if you've got a third of evangelicals saying that Jesus wasn't even the Son of God, but he's just a great teacher, I'm not seeing a lot of spiritual hunger coming out of that. Christians of the kingdom have this supreme ambition. They're ambitious. They really are. But it's not for material. It's for spiritual. Children of the kingdom don't desire to be entertained at worship events. Children of the kingdom don't desire to be entertained at Sunday services. Children of the kingdom don't attend church to be pampered and have their needs met by the church. Christians are not like other people. Are you seeing this in the sermon so far? We're not like other people. We're not engrossed in the pursuit of stuff. We're not engrossed in, in clamoring for short-term emotional experiences, although they're fun. I'll give you that. But they have set themselves to seek first the kingdom of God because they're citizens of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what does Jesus say? They, what? Will be satisfied. Maybe you're not satisfied this morning. Could this be the reason? 
Blessed are the merciful. Luke, who recites some of these same messages from Jesus and records them, uh, Luke in Luke 6.36 adds, Blessed are the merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Mercy is showing empathy. How many of you struggle with showing empathy? Probably be a lot of hands, if you were willing to put your hand up, but, but you're not. Mercy is showing empathy towards those who are in difficulty, those who are suffering, those who are down and out, instead of explaining to them why it happened. <laughs> instead of explaining to them how they got there, because they already know that. And Jesus doesn't specify the categories of people he has in mind. I'm so glad he doesn't, because then we would filter out a few people. And Jesus gives no indication whether he's thinking of those who are, up, who are suffering, who are, who are overcome by a disaster, um, or they're hungry, they're sick, they're outcast, they got the virus. Suffering people who Jesus encountered, he always regularly took pity on them. Did you notice that? Because, you see, there's no need for Jesus to go into details. Because this is a blanket statement. God, the Father, shows mercy continuously to you and I. You and I who have done nothing to deserve it. As a matter of fact, if we were honest, we should be getting the opposite. The citizens of his kingdom must show that type of mercy too. Even when it's inconvenient. Even when it's not politically correct. Why? For they'll receive mercy. They will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. To be pure in heart is to be pre free from, from selfish ambition. Oh my goodness. Selfish purposes. Self-seeking motives. Who can even get there? <laughs> well, Jesus is the ultimate example again as he sacrificed his own life for the redemption of you and for me on the cross. If by faith we put our, our faith and trust in God's payment for our sin debt. And the words in heart talk about the kind of purity we're talking about here. And it's, it's, it's the same thing that Jesus said. He said, there are those who are poor in what? In spirit, as opposed to those who are poor materially. So the, the poor in heart here, it's an inward purity, as opposed to this outward ceremonial purity, like maybe just coming to church. One is before God, what you are on the inside. The other is just before man. Jesus took up this theme in his controversy with the Pharisees and he complained about their obsession with all the outward appearances that man can look on. And he said, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup in the dish. That's what you do. You clean the outside of the cup in the dish, but inside it's full of greed and wickedness. Why would I want to be pure inside? For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Do you and I live peaceful lives? In our homes? Um, when we work with others? Um, when we talk politics? Oh, peace, don't go there. We got religion and politics in the same sentence. Do we live peaceful lives on Facebook? Okay, now you're getting personal. 
Do we work to share peace with other people, first and foremost? Or do we want to prove we're right? Making disciples is cultivating peace between man and God and man and man. Every Christian is meant to be a peacemaker in their community and especially in the church. Come on. We have the truth about the eternal destiny for all humanity. (laughs) We have it. And we'll be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Do you feel blessed when that happens? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, it may seem strange to all of us as we we see that Jesus is moving from peacemaking to what? Persecution. He moves immediately from from the uh, work of reconciliation and peace to the experience of receiving hostility. However hard you and I try to make peace, there will always be some people who refuse to live at peace with us. Jesus said many times that if you choose to follow me, you'll be persecuted. So what hope is there for a child of the kingdom? Well, if you're persecuted, Jesus said, for belief in or worship of God, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes set an extremely high and exacting standard. I mean, we all see that right now. But this is the way God will be glorified. And isn't that always the main point? Isn't that what you and I live for? Come on. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat, like when you go out for lunch today or go home for lunch, whether you eat or whether you drink, and then he summarizes it by, or whatever you do, he covers everything, do everything for the glory of God. So here we find Jesus at the beginning of his ministry explaining to his disciples that if they let their light shine, so that their good works are seen by man, their Father in heaven will be glorified. And then we get to the end of his ministry as he's sitting with those same disciples in the upper room and he expresses the same truth in similar words. This is to my Father's glory. What is? That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Would you rise with me? Stand with me and let us pray to God. Let's give him honor and worship and praise, and then sing together in song. Heavenly Father, we bow before you, and we pray that your word here in this service and online, that your word presented to our children down the hall, Lord, that it bears much fruit, that we see a change, a transformation as we take on more of the character of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's sing.